he and me. It's talking about what it means to live the in Christ life. Uh, last weekend, we started in chapter one and uh, we answered. In fact, the book of Philippians answers just so many things in our lives. How many of you know God's word has a practical application to your everyday life? You just don't study the Bible to kind of fill some religious requirement. It's because it's life to you. This week, we're going to answer the question in chapter two, the secret to overcoming anything. So we're going to study the second chapter this week of the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 1. I'm simply going to read the chapter, and then we're going to delve into this. Philippians 2, verse 1. Remember, Paul wrote this to the church at Philippi while he was in prison in Rome for, for his faith. He was in prison. Now, we know he, he was actually let out of prison before he was back into Rome and ultimately martyred for his faith. Philippians 2, 1. Paul wrote, Therefore... If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each one of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant or a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him. And given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, those things in the earth or even under the earth. And that every tongue should confess or will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, let your inside life find its way out. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may be blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. How many of you think that's a little applicable to where we live today? Do you understand that there is empowerment in God to live a blameless, harmless life as a child of God without fault? In the middle of perverseness and and crookedness in a generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world as you hold fast the word of life. So that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, I am being poured out as a drink offering. Ultimately, he knew he would be martyred. On On the sacrifice and service of your faith. I am glad and I rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Timothy was a pastor raised under Paul. That I also may be encouraged when he knows your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely or naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know him, his proven character, Timothy, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me in his imprisonment. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall soon come to you shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphrodites, 
my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, he almost to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Aren't you glad God has mercy on sick people? That's a good place to say yes. Verse 28. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly, that is Epaphrodites, that when you see him, you may rejoice again and be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness. Hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his own life. To supply what was, what was lacking in your service to me. Paul was telling them, look, Epaphrodites was making up the lack of service of other people. And he did it to the extent that he literally almost killed himself. How many of you know this is a man who is, is, is wanting to do something great for God, Epaphrodites? And Paul's saying, you need to esteem this man. Because he was actually making up the difference for many people that didn't do what God had called them to do. So today I want to talk to you about, in the second chapter, this simple, simple truth. Although it's very profound if you live it in your everyday life. That the secret to overcoming anything is found in the word humility. And here's why. There's an outcome to the life of humility, and here's what it is. That God lifts you up. God himself, not in theory, not in some religious kind of etherical prose, God himself will come into your broken life and God himself will lift you up. That's the outcome of humility. So it doesn't matter where you came from, what advantages or disadvantages you had, who raised you, who didn't raise you, who hurt you, who didn't hurt you, who's hurting you now, who isn't hurting you now, where you've been strong, where you've been weak, where you have regrets, where you have, uh, uh, you know, cheer, where you cheer and you're happy. There is a life of humility that when you understand what it really is and you understand that it positions you in life for the God of all creation to intimately work in your individual life to lift you out and lift you up. That's why the scripture goes over and over again throughout the Bible that he will lift you on a high place. He'll put you within the cleft of the rock under the shadow of the almighty in his presence. He'll set you on high because you knew his name. So you don't know the obstacles I have. You don't know the God that can lift you up. All of us have obstacles. Some of us have a whole lot more. But can can we all agree this much about God? God's never looked at an issue and went, God, what am I going to do? I don't know. I just hope. Look, look, I need some help here. All you angels, y'all come over here. Come here. Come here. This is a, look at this. This is tough. This is, I don't know how we're going to fix this one. God's never looked at anything and backed up. And the fact of it is he never looked at you and backed up. He looked at you and moved forward, sent his son. And when you made Christ the Lord of your life, there's a way to live that reflects the heart of Jesus that positions you for God himself to lift you up. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 5 says this, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Now, that's a horrible word in our culture today, submission. People hate that word because they think of it as tyranny. Submission is a choice. When you're not choosing and someone is overwhelming you or, le- or dominating you, that's not submission, that's tyranny. Submission is when you choose to abase yourself. And that, that we live in a culture that is almost, not only is it foreign to our culture, people actually think you're out of your mind. 
In the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, not just the young men, now all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up or exalt you in due time. Clothe yourselves. Now, there's a point in your life, all things being equal and no physical uh, difficulties, that you typically learn to clothe yourself. And for most people, other than those specifics, you clothe yourself. There's a point when other people clothed you. But, it, but at this point in your life, or I imagine for everybody here in this room today, likely, you were able to put your own clothes on. Humility. Humility, the Bible said, you have to clothe yourself with this. This isn't something God will force on you. You have to choose to understand what it means to live a life of humility and clothe yourself because God opposes the proud. In fact, James said it this way, he resists the proud but gives more grace to the humble. Now, God resisting or opposing me, that's a bad day. If there's anybody I want in opposition to me, it is not God. There is no point spread when you oppose God. There is no, there's no way to judge how bad your loss will be. But why does God oppose the proud? Out of all the things that he could oppose, and, and so clearly in Scripture, that he literally opposes and resists the proud. But then it says something interesting. He gives grace to the humble. Now, grace is divine ability. Grace is Enablement of God that you cannot earn. Grace is, let me explain grace to you. Grace is when, when, when you, you're born in someone's house who's a millionaire and they die. And they leave you money. You earn nothing, you hit the genetic lottery, and you got a boatload of cash. That's grace. Most people, now I grew up with, you know, I'm a second generation American. My family, you know, steel workers and so... There wasn't much inheritance coming our way. I used to tease my dad about it. I'd say, you know, I see here people, like someone died. They softened the blow by leaving them a bunch of money, man. I mean, what are you going to do to soften the blow? He said, I'm going to leave you bills. That's what I'm leaving you. He didn't do that, but anyway, he was a piece of work. But the fact of it is, every one of us have, have the opportunity in our life to not come to a point to where we are in opposition to God. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now listen, grace is divine ability. It's the enablement to do what you could never do without God. And God said, when you learn to humble yourself in my presence, I give you divine enablement. I will empower you to be the husband you never saw modeled in your life. To be the wife you never saw modeled in your life. To be the parent you never saw modeled in your life. I will empower you to live beyond the abuse you suffered. Because I give grace to the humble, but I resist the proud. Humility is the attraction of grace. It's a magnet to divine enablement. Pride is the repulsion of divine enablement. Now, why is that? The Bible tells us that no flesh will ever glory in the presence of God. In other words, no one will ever stand before God ever and be able to look at God and say, look what I did for you. Look what I've earned. Now, we're, you know, I did this and you did that. And I know you did a bunch of stuff, but let me show you what I did. No one, not a human being, not one time, not one hour, not one moment, not one second of your life. 
No matter what you've ever done, you will be able to stand in front of the holy, mighty God of creation and glory in his presence about you. And pride is when you make you go above God. All pride is means to exalt above. Humility means to be brought low. But Christians are so perverse in their understanding of the nature of God, when they think of pride and humility, they think that, I've had people say, well, you know, I mean, their life is in a toilet. You know, the Lord's trying to humble me. God didn't put you in a toilet. Jesus came to get you out of the toilet. But people are so perverse in their understanding of, of a merciful, redeeming God, a Savior, that their life gets messed up and they say, well, the Lord's humbling me. No. God doesn't bring horrible things in your life to humble you any more than you would do that to your kids. God teaches us not through butchering our lives. He literally wants to enable you to live your life to the full, to the way he's called you to live it, to the place he's called you to live it, to the purpose he's called you to live it. But pride literally repulses grace. And no flesh will ever be able to glory in the presence of God. Let me give you an example. It, we all think of the obvious of pride. Someone who walks around thinking they're better than other people. That's, that's a form of pride. It's not much taught in the Bible, but it's in, it's in the Bible. But when pride spoke of in the Bible, it rarely talks about that. Most people think of humility of someone who is kind of to themselves and, and, and never, never does anything or never, never, never pushes anywhere into, into great exploits or endeavors. They, 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 they're just a humble person. I can show you what pride and humility are in a Bible way to make it really clear. When we think in those extremes, we're, 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 we're deceived. Pride is when you exalt anything above God, not just your good stuff. In fact, most of us are never tempted to lift our good stuff before God and say, look, look what I did. You impressed? Unless you're really twisted in religion. Most of us lift our bad stuff up before God and above him. I, I just, I just can't ever look. You don't understand. I'm just so messed up. I'm just so messed up. I can't do that. You're married and your marriage is just struggling. And, and you think it's because you guys, you know, when you got married, you just, I don't know, maybe you didn't do good vows or something. You don't know why your life is so bad. You don't know why your marriage is so bad. You don't know why you struggle the way you do. And very often it doesn't take a rocket scientist to go backwards and see where some of the nonsense it was inbred and born into the belief of our heart. And then you hear what God's word says about being a husband. Love her like Christ loved the church. I want to so make you whole inside that I'm going to enable you as a man to live sacrificially to the point of death for the woman you say you love. Where her needs come before yours for the rest of your life. Now, somebody heard this. Man, that's like making your bed in hell. What about me? Well, you know, God tells, you know what he tells a woman to do? He says, you yield and submit your life to that kind of love. And here's what a woman heard. I'm not submitting to any man. What are you, stupid? I certainly, I'm smarter than he is. Why would I sub-? See, because you heard submission means he rules. Submission is a choice. If submission meant dominance, prior to God ever telling a wife to submit to her husband, he said we should be mutually submitted to one another. Submission doesn't mean somebody rules you. Loving your wife like Christ loved the church meets the central need God put in every woman. And that need is, is primarily this, security. You, I can take care of myself. I don't mean you can't make a living. God made you as a woman, no matter what this culture tells you. 
The men and women are, are the same or we can switch every weekend. Try to go back 30 years ago and tell somebody that somebody could honest to God before heaven believe that they're a woman one day and a man the next and go back and not think that that person needed severe help. They're not only not getting help today, they're being celebrated like they, like they won the lottery. And it keeps broken people broken. Precious human beings take their lives before God and they exalt them above him. They exalt who didn't do this for me or that for me. And just take it in the context of marriage. Do you know that when you yield your life into your husband and you love him and you serve him and you bless him, even though he doesn't deserve it. And if you're married, can we be honest? He rarely will deserve it. Do you know that you're meeting the central need God put in every man? And that's to be respected. Yeah, but he doesn't deserve to be respected. That's why you love him. Love doesn't give you what you deserve. If God gave us what, what, what we deserve, we'd be in hell. Love gives you what you need, not what you deserve. That's why his mercy boasted against his judgment. So when you yield your life to your husband, you're actually meeting his greatest need. And when you serve your wife sacrificially, every, God has made every woman with the need to be sacrificially loved. And yet it's so easy to say, I'm not doing that. I won't do that until you do. And this is where the pride comes. We exalt how we feel above what God said. Well, I'll do that after you. Here's most marriage counseling. The lady or man sits there, talks to y'all. I hate you because of that. I hate you because I wish you wouldn't. I wish you I wish you'd stop. Okay, you have your list. The counselor switches the list. Okay, promise. You won't do that anymore. Okay, go home. And because you don't do the list, now you, now you don't even love, I told you, and you still won't do it. Did you ever think you might need some divine enablement to get you out of that stupid bucket you've been living in? Anybody ever fall into stupid? It's, it's just me. Anybody ever just, you just, God, when you humble yourself, under his mighty hand, he exalts you in due time. When you say, no matter how I feel, no matter what I've experienced, no matter what this brain-dead culture tells me, I'm going to live sacrificially for my wife and my family. I'm not going to be perfect at it, but I'm going to make a decision in my heart, listen, to please my God and to humble myself to his word and in a consistent manner, I'm going to live that way. And you won't be perfect at it, but if you'll be consistent at it, and you walk in that form of humility, God said, I'll give you more grace. I'll give you more ability. And you know what happens over time? He lifts your marriage up. And you know what else happens over time? The trail of misery that generationally has gone through your family tree stops with your family. And your children never know the heartache you knew. Because he didn't just, here's the deal. When God lifts you up, all the boats around you get to go up with you. You see, humility is the attraction of the grace of God. Now, why is it such a big deal to God? Because it was the initial sin of Satan. And even using the term that there's a literal devil in our culture today, our culture is so full of pride. 60 plus percent of Christians do not believe there is a literal, literal entity named Satan. He's allegorical, you know, that, you know, I'm educated. I don't believe in that. Now, Jesus believed in it, obviously. He experienced him personally, but you're smarter. How'd you get so smart in 30, 40, 50 years or 25? 
Well, I went to college. Look, I'm not against college. I'm, I'm, I'll be paying for it for many years. But you sat in the room with a human being that gets up and goes to the bathroom and then eats and then goes to the bathroom and then sleeps. And you're going to trust your life to him or her? Yeah, but they, they're, they're smart. Who told you they were smart? If you knew them personally, you might not even let them watch your dog. You don't know anything about them. And yet, but they sat in the room and someone else who told them they were smart told and then someone, and before long, it's, it's, it's just a room full of nonsense bouncing off each other with absolutely no foundations of truth that nothing's right, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing good, there's nothing bad. Everything's fine. But I'm dying. It's not bad. Unless they're the one dying. Then it gets bad. All these crazy theories. Theories, it's just a supposition based upon ignorance of the subject under discussion. It's, and I'm not against education. Look, my kids are going to college. My son went to school. I mean, look, an Ivy League school. And, and you talk about, that's like nuts on steroids. Did I say that out loud? I shouldn't have said that out loud. It's bad pastor. Satan, when he fell, there was something found in his heart. Let me read it to you in Ezekiel 28. This is to the fall of Satan when he was literally thrown out of, out of the presence of God. You're referring to Satan. Your heart was filled with pride because of all of your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted, corrupted by, your love of, uh, by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and I will lay you before kings that they may behold you. The principal sin in the heart of Satan when he fell was pride. He exalted his throne, the Bible said, or attempted to, above the throne of God. Now, we look at that action and we say, man, that was stupid. I mean, really, wouldn't you all say, Satan, that was a dumb thing to do. But how many times have I exalted my feelings of the throne of my feelings above God? The throne of my circumstances above God? Well, just how I feel. It's just the way it is. It's not the way it is in God's. See, when you take what God says and it becomes what you believe about your life, that is an act of humility because you will do that in the face of contradictory circumstances for the rest of your life. And he said, as you continue to do that, my grace will abundantly be poured out in your life and I will lift you up. Lift you up where? To the level of his promise, to the level of his word. It's an amazing thing to let God work in your life like that. And when you, when you just compare how Satan dealt with it, and how Jesus dealt with it. The issue of obedience to God and the outcomes that they had. It's remarkable. Satan took what God blessed him with and he became so enthralled with his own capacities that he said, I'm going to exalt these above God. But yet Jesus, to pay the debt for for the sin of man, the son of the living God, God himself, robed in flesh. Not to come here and be a king and worship but to die on a cross to pay the debt that none of us could pay. And listen to what in Philippians, I'm going to read the four things that we found in Philippians, the second chapter, that it said Jesus did. He said, let this mind or mindset be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And there were four things he did that revealed his act of humility. This is not an archangel worshiping God. This is God serving his creation. What an utter picture of humility. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Four things. Jesus made himself of no reputation. 
He was born of a virgin in a barn. He came as a human being, not as, he didn't come just appear as a great king. He came as a baby. And he took upon himself, the scripture said, the form of a servant. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He chose in a world where people will kill you to get ahead. That will undermine you to get, get ahead. Do you know, he said, well, yeah, but I live in the real world. Can I tell you something about the real world? God lives there too. He'd like to get in your real world. Yeah, but if I'm ethical, I mean, if I do the right thing, I'll get killed. Really? I've always found this partnering with God. Nobody's ever gotten over on God. Ever. Ever. Yeah, but they're really clever. No, not that clever. So I refuse in any environment to puff or lift myself up and try to make myself something. Why not just do your job, work hard, be invented, be in, 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 use your, every genius that God put in you, fine. But I never have to tear down another person. My light doesn't get brighter when I blow your candle out. I don't have to tear you down with my mouth. I don't have to chew the people up who, who work above me or beside me or below me. Why don't we just do what humility does? Make yourself of no reputation and serve people. And then it said he chose to humble himself, becoming obedient to death, even the death of a cross. He humbled himself, and that's coupled with the word obedience. Satan took his throne and tried to exalt it above the throne of God. When Jesus knelt in a garden, when he was about to take the sin of the world, what happened? He said, Father... If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, your will, not mine. And he submitted himself to the plan of redemption. And he went to a cross and died a criminal's death. And then the sin of the world was placed upon him. Look at the the difference. And then the scripture says this. Because of this, God highly exalted him. And there were many examples in the second chapter when he defined humility. He said, don't do anything of selfish ambition or conceit. Possess a mindset of lowliness. Esteem others better than yourself. Don't look out for the interests your own, but that of others. Do things without complaining and disputing. Be harmless and blameless children of God within a crooked and perverse world. Shine as light as you hold the word of God forth in your life. And even a man like Epaphrodites, who was dying because he was making up the lack of service of others. That's a question I have. We're about done. I wonder what it feels like today in heaven Assuming these are believers that were a part of Paul's life. They're in heaven. And they didn't join to Paul's ministry where God had called many of them to serve that ministry. They had other things that were really important. They had exalted, listen to me, exalted other things above what mattered to God. And they exalted their throne above his. Epaphrodites saw this lack of service and so served that he almost died. I wonder if we could interview those people in heaven and say, hey, you remember that Apostle Paul guy that when you knew him, he was a guy in prison and you kind of had given up on him? Do you know that he was used of God to be one of the foundational apostles of the new covenant? He literally wrote three quarters of the New Testament. And do you know that God had called you and given you grace to be a part of that? And can you tell me what was more important to you than that now looking back can you imagine what it must look like 
Because the things that were important to them were important to you and me. The reasons they had are the reasons I have. But now when you look back 2,000 years ago, if you look back at people that had the opportunity to truly be a part by the grace of God to the call of God upon the Apostle Paul's life, but they exalted something above it. Philippians is telling us, if you want to find your way, if you want to know why you're here on the planet, if you want to know how to overcome anything in your life, if you want to have an unwavering confidence, if you want to know how to access the presence of God and the, and the, and the very resources of heaven, then if you'll humble yourself under my mighty hand, I will exalt you in due time. And there's so much that's not happening in the earth today because we as believers, and these aren't bad people. These aren't people trying to do harm. We're human. We exalt our schedules above God, our games above God, our pleasure above God. We're human. Humility is when you say, no, 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 he's first. He's first in my time. He's first in my money. He's first in my purpose. He's first in my marriage. He's first in my parenting. It doesn't mean you can't learn from other resources. It doesn't mean you can't have fun. None of that, it's not either or. It's God first. Humility says he's first. Because just by the way, just so you know, God can't be anything but first. Now, he may not be first in my life, but he's first. And all you've got to do is just breathe a few more years and you'll find out. How many of you know we stop breathing sometime and we die? Now, if you're 25, you think you're going to live forever. But if you're my age, I'm 56, you know you don't stay here forever. And some of you that are much older than me, you know, hmm, I'm not here a whole lot. If I live to be real old, I'm, still, I'm out soon. Why do I want to die to find out who he is? Most people wait to die to put him first. That is, they see him and he's preeminent in all things. Lastly, this. Wherefore, because of this decision and heart of Jesus, the Bible said, because of that conquest, he gave him a name which is above every name, and God highly exalted him that every knee will bow to Jesus Christ, whether in heaven, earth, or under the earth. So I know a lot of people that won't bow their knee to Jesus, maybe not while they're alive. I promise you this. When you're graveyard dead and you stand before a living God, you will bow your knee. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. He is Lord to the glory of God. Those who do it on this side of life have eternal life. And those who wait do not. Humility. You talk about being lifted up by God. Humility of saying, I need a Savior. And receiving Christ. You talk about the ultimate of rescue. But it has to first happen by saying, I'm sin-stained. I am sin-stained and I need a Savior. Do you see how easy that humility and pride can be so easily invading our lives? Pride can come in so many forms. And maybe I'm the only one who ever deals with it, but I don't think I am. And what the Philippians is all about, every book of the Bible is about, is to tell you how to walk with God in everyday life. And God wants to do something amazing in your everyday life. And no matter how you find yourself today, walking with him, he does not want to leave you that way. Because I can tell you this, that when, when, when God lifts you up, you can overcome anything. You can overcome anything in your life when the God of the universe literally begins to do this to you. I don't know what your specific journey is, but he is forever faithful. And he will never, listen to me, ever forsake you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he can exalt you in due time.